Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Thanks, James. Uh, We are, like James said, we are in the Gospel of Mark today, Mark chapter 2. So if you want to start turning there in your Bible, feel free. If you don't have a Bible, we have extras uh, provided by the church in English and in French. So feel free to grab one of those. Um, Where are those? Uh, They're around here somewhere. Anyway, we also have uh, these uh, small Gospels of Mark. Um, We are, as a church, reading the Gospel of Mark together right now, and so one of the things we want to do is get the Word of God in everyone's hands. And uh, so these uh, small Gospels of Mark have, like, pages for writing and and keeping notes, and so if you haven't grabbed one of these yet, feel free to grab one, Um, and and if you're willing to, you can give $5.00. Uh, just kind of help offset the cost for those. If you don't have $5, that's okay. We still want you to have it, so take it. Um, they are on the back table. Uh, if you want to grab one, if you need one, feel free to take that uh, now. You can do that um, as we begin exploring the Gospel of Mark. And we are in week two of our sermon series called Follow Jesus. And so I love this, the, the title of our series because, like, if you really read the Gospel of Mark, it, it stands out kind of different than all of the other Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels, meaning that they cover a lot of the same content. But, like, Mark covers it in a very different way. Matthew is kind of like, he's trying to get at your soul. You know what I'm saying? And, like, Luke, as he writes, he's trying to, like, get to your mind. And John, as John writes his gospel, he's trying to get to your heart. But as Mark is writing, he's like trying to get to your feet. He's trying to say like, this is the bare bones of what you need to know. Now go follow Jesus. And so like our series called Follow Jesus is like basically what Mark is trying to get across. Mark is an action-packed gospel. He's trying to get us off of the bench and into the game. He wants to see people go from being passive about who Jesus is to active in their lives. And he's calling people to come and to follow Jesus in their lives, to have their lives imitate Jesus, is what we call discipleship. When we begin to let Jesus reign supreme in every aspect of our lives. Last week, James started by going through Mark chapter 1. And if you remember, he really had two key points as as he went through Mark chapter 1. He talked about the identity of who Jesus is, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, that this is who Mark is trying to portray Jesus as, that Jesus is not just a really good dude, but like he's God in the flesh. He's this guy who's, who's, who's God from the beginning, but he's also 100% man as well. That's his identity. But along with that, there's the message of Jesus. This is what he talked about last week. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now repent and believe the good news. The good news that Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to take away sin. So as we step into Mark chapter 2, we're kind of continuing this idea. So last week, James talked about the identity of Jesus, the message of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 2, we are really talking about the authority of Jesus. That as we, if we are following Jesus with our lives, we will ultimately submit to his authority. We understand that when we begin following Jesus, the whole purpose of following Jesus is to bring about change in our lives. That's the goal, is to bring about life change. Each and every one of us have parts and areas in our life that are broken. And we need Jesus to change us into the image of himself because Jesus was not broken. Being God, he was complete and he was whole. And so as we follow him, he brings about change in our lives. And we'll see today in our text that the only people that are left unchanged are the people who refuse to repent and believe in who Jesus is and submit to his authority. So today we're seeking to answer this big question. And this is the entire point of today's message as we seek to answer this question. And the question is, how will submission to Jesus or how will submission to Jesus' authority change or bring about change in my life? I think today as we look at our text, we're going to see four ways that submitting to Jesus' authority changes our lives. First, submission to Jesus' authority leads to forgiveness of sin. Next, we see that submission to Jesus' authority leads to repentance of sin. Then we'll see submission to Jesus' authority leads to obedience And finally, submission to Jesus' authority leads to God's glory. So let's read our text together here in Mark chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse number 1. Let's read together. Mark 2 verse 1, it says, And when he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, that your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege we have to hold the Word of God in our hands, to hold the Bible. God, as we think about generations and centuries of believers and people who didn't have this privilege, and yet, God, we have the opportunity to open the Bible and read it each and every day. Father, we as Christians believe that this is how you speak to us today, through your word. That God, that the Bible does not contain the word of God, but the Bible is 100% your words and how you reveal yourself to man. And so, Father, we ask that for the next few moments as we look at your word, that God, we will quiet our hearts and our minds and we will allow your word to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will do your work of conviction, of comfort in our lives. Father, we ask that if someone is here today that has never and has not yet put their faith in Jesus, that God, as they hear the good news today, that God, you might challenge them to believe the good news of who Jesus is and how he might bring about change in their life. Father, we ask this all for your glory. Amen. So as we are in Mark chapter 2, we're going to see kind of this word come up over and over again in our message today. And the idea is authority. Jesus is walking in here in Mark chapter 2 and revealing his authority to his audience. In Mark chapter 1, he's revealing his identity, his message. And now he's saying that if I am God, which I claim to be, there is authority that I have over sickness, over sin, over suffering. And he is trying to reveal that to the crowd today. And so as we are looking at this, in our lives, this also rings true. Because we believe that Jesus has authority over every aspect of our lives. And so today, as we're looking at this, we want to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus. And as we begin our passage, it begins very interesting. It says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now put yourself in the story. Let's step into the story a little bit. And let's think about, let's try to not just let this be a, a story in a book, but let's put ourselves in this. Let's think about ourselves as the paralytic, okay? Here's this guy. The passage tells us in chapter 1 of Mark that Jesus has already done ministry in Capernaum. If we were just to look over across the page, verses uh, 21 to 28, we see his ministry in Capernaum. And it says that they, that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Verse 22 of chapter 1. And it says, immediately there was a in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus cast the demon out of the man. And then later on that evening, verse 32, at sundown, they brought to him all 
who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak. Jesus has done a mighty work here in Capernaum already in his ministry. But someone hadn't been healed the first time Jesus came in town. And it was this guy that's a paralytic. Can you imagine being that guy? I don't know. I'm going to elaborate a little bit. But can you imagine being that guy that like, you like, hey, like, that guy was sick last week. Hey, bro, I thought you were like dying. And he's like, yeah, I was. And then Jesus healed me. And he's like, oh, I wish I would have known about that. Or like, isn't that Psycho Sam? The, isn't that Psycho Sam in the back? And like, that dude was running around crazy last week. Man, what happened to you? He's like, Jesus cast a demon out of me. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. But he didn't, what happened? Why didn't he heal me? You know? And so now, a few days later, Jesus is back in town. And, like, I don't know, his four buddies, I don't know how it went down, but, like, somehow it's found out, hey, Jesus is back in town. They probably, like, called him up on the phone. They're like, dude, did you hear the news? What? Jesus is back. He's like, seriously? Yeah. He's like, come pick me up, you know. Come pick me up. I'll be there in five minutes, you know. Let's go. And so his four buddies, we don't know who they are. The Bible doesn't tell us their names. But today, for today, we'll call them Larry, Curly, Moe, and uh, Shimp, and uh, the Lost Stooge, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they come by, and they pick him up, and they take him to Jesus. And they're, like, on their way, and they're hurrying, trying to get to Jesus. And then they hit traffic, which if you've lived in Montreal long enough, we all know what that's like. Because it's, like, all of a sudden, three lanes to one lane in a matter of, you know, five feet. And... Uh, and so, like, they get there, and they're like, hey, what's going on? Like, we're just trying to get to Jesus. And they're like, dude, take a number. We all are, you know. And Jesus is in, is in the house, and he's, like, teaching, and he's preaching to these people. Now, we don't know whose house it is. It just says a house. Um, a lot of people tend to think that this is Simon Peter's home that Jesus is teaching in. And uh, so he's in there teaching. It's, it's filled. People are out the door trying to hear Jesus. And here's the paralytic and his buddies, and they're just, like, stuck. But where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, so here he is, and he's trying to figure out. They're all trying to scratch their heads, and then they're like, wait a second. We'll go through the roof, you know? Which brings about a whole other argument. Is it roof or roof? And the other guys are like, you mean a roof? And my wife and I had this argument in the first 40 years of our marriage. Is it roof or roof? Root or root. And uh, she convinced me it's roof. Anyway, so we get to the roof, and they begin tearing out the roof. And so, like, you know, can you imagine, like, here's Jesus speaking, and all of a sudden, like, some dust starts falling, and all of a sudden, like, this bright light comes down on Jesus, and everyone's like, what's happening? And then this, like, being drops from the sky, and I was like, what? And this guy's like on a bed. And like, what do you do? Like, do you put your arms like this? Are you dead? Or like to the side? And he's just like, he drops down. Because he wants to be healed by Jesus. And he drops down. And Jesus looks at the guy. 
who talks first? You know, like, do I talk first? Does Jesus talk first? What happens, you know, you know? And he gets there, and Jesus says these words. Son, your sins are forgiven. And he's like, uh, thanks, you know? <laughs> like, that's cool, but I, that's not why I came here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't walk. You know, so the, the wording in the Greek, uh, the idea of a paralytic means that like he probably suffered some sort of a stroke. It means that he like half of his body couldn't work. And so the guy stuck to his bed because half his body doesn't operate, you know. And so like he comes down and Jesus says, son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's like, why would Jesus say that? Why wouldn't he just be like, let's, let's get the healing done, and then we'll talk about forgiveness of sins, right? Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he said these words, and I think it's so cool. I, I, this is what a theologian, the, a the, theologian. All right, I retire now. A theologian uh, says, this is not my words. He says, the word of Christ was to take his thoughts off from the disease, which was the effect of sin. And lead them to sin itself, the cause of all sickness. That he might be more concerned about that, to get that pardon. Because we understand that pardon of sin strikes at the root, root, however you want to call it, of all diseases. And either cures them or alters their property. That's what Matthew Henry said. So as Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven, what he's saying is, you can't walk. That is the effect of living in a broken world. But the cause itself is sin. We as Christians believe that God made everything and God made everything good. But then we rebelled. Our parents, our forefathers rebelled from God. And all of us continue to rebel from God. We call that rebellion sin. And when we rebel from God's design for our life, God says, this is my plan. And we say, I'm going to do this. When we do that, it leads us to a point of brokenness. And brokenness reveals itself in different ways. It's addiction. It's sickness. It's disease. Whatever it is, it's brokenness. And we try to fix the brokenness on our own because something's not right and we know it. But ultimately, we as Christians believe that only Jesus can fix our brokenness. Because only Jesus was complete. And Jesus stepped into this earth as God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He was a perfect person. He lived a sinless life, but he died a death that you and I deserve because of our sin and rebellion from God. He died a sinner's death on a cross. But being God in the flesh, he overcame death and the grave itself. Three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he was God and that everything that he promised would come true. And so this day, as he looks at this man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He's not just talking about your sickness. He's talking about the cause of sickness to begin with, which is sin. We see here that submission to Jesus' authority leads to forgiveness of sin. 
Jesus, if he is God, then he, only he has the ability to pronounce us righteous or clean of sin. But then we see that submission to Jesus' authority leads to repentance of sin. So while this guy is over here getting healed, everyone in the crowd is standing here watching this. There's a group of people sitting on the front row scratching their beards like, nah, I'm not into this. And we see them here. They're the scribes. They're the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And our text tells us in Mark chapter 2, verse number 6, it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier for me to say to the paralytic that your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? While everyone else is sitting there listening to Jesus and submitting to his authority, these guys are immediately saying, No, no, I don't, no. Who is he to say that? The problem in the text is not that they would say, in verse 7, who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right in that statement. The problem is, is they are so far from believing that Jesus is God that they just automatically won't even accept even the slightest hint that he is deity. And they refuse to be changed. They refuse to submit to the authority of Jesus. When I was in high school, I played high school basketball. And my 10th grade season, I was playing on the, on the varsity team. And I was, I was well known for riding the Iron Pony. And if you know what I mean, I'm talking about I sat the bench all year. You know? Don't clap. I'm not proud of it, you know? I sat the bench. But man, like if you, I got so frustrated because if you talk to my, my teammates, they'd be like, dude, Ben, you're working harder than anybody else in practice. You know, you're shooting, you're, you're pretty accurate when it comes to shooting. You're, you're, you hustle, you get rebounds. And I'm like, I know, why aren't I playing more? I want more playing time. I go to my coach, be like, hey, I want to play more. I want to play more, you know. And my coach just like, okay, okay. Finally, my time came. We're in a game. We should have been up by like way more than we were, but our guys weren't playing well. And my coach was frustrated. And so he's like, all right, Ben, here's your chance. And he throws me into the game. And man, I'm ready. I'm ready to score like 20 points, get 10 rebounds, you know, sign some autographs when the game's over. I'm pumped. And I get in there, and the difference is, is I'm playing small forward when I usually play power forward. Just a slight difference in position on the court, right? And so they call the first play. And I just remember freezing, thinking, this isn't my normal spot. And I don't know where to go in the play from this position. And I just kind of like freeze for a minute. And so what happens is everyone else is running the play. And I'm like just running to the side, like trying to figure out what to do. And, of course, because I'm not in position, the play goes awry. And, and we lose the ball and we get on the court. And then we come back down and they call another play. Of course, again, that's not my normal position, so I don't know where to go from here. And I say all this to say, a few minutes later, my coach pulls me out of the game. 
and I lost my chance. I was a good shot. I, was, I could get rebounds, you know. I wanted to be really good, but I could not submit to the coach's game plan and the coach's vision for our team. See, the coach had a very play-driven philosophy. So we won games because we ran plays, and those plays created opportunities for shots. And when one person's out of position and not doing their thing or doing their own thing, everything else falls apart. In our text today, what we see is like Team God is running, okay? Team God is moving, and they have an MVP. His name is Jesus, Okay, and Jesus is playing the game and and a lot of people are playing. And then there's like the guys that refuse to submit to what God has planned and how God wants to operate and honor the MVP. They want to be the MVP. They're good shots, you know, like 50 from the 50 percent from the three point line. That's not bad. But Jesus is the MVP and he shoots 100 percent, you know, and like these guys are just trying to do their own thing. And when you try to do that, when you refuse to submit yourself to the authority of the coach, of God, he says, I can't use you because you're, un- you're, you're, you're not willing to do what I'm calling you to do. You're unwilling to repent, to change, and conform to what I had planned for you. You understand in our text, as we look at our story here in Mark chapter 2, that by the end of this day, by the end of this whole experience, there is only one group of people in this passage that are left unchanged. The paralytic walks home. His buddies are going nuts. The crowd is glorifying God. And the only people who are left unchanged by the experience are the scribes and the Pharisees because they refuse to submit themselves to the authority of Jesus and what he wants to do in their lives. They're unwilling to repent. When we talk about repentance, it sounds like a scary word, but really it just means a change of heart. You understand that there was a point where the scribes and Pharisees, they were team God. If you were to back up 400 years ago, the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones that were trying to defend God's name and God's honor. And now they are so stuck in their tradition that God himself steps into time and and life and they refuse to listen and submit to him. And they miss it. They're unwilling to change for God's sake. Submission to Jesus' authority, though, means that we, it leads to forgiveness of sin. It leads to repentance of sin. Now, these are two different words, but they're also two ideas of the same coin. If you truly believe in who Jesus claims to be, you will conform to who Jesus calls you to be. You will, your life will change. It will be different. Submission to Jesus' authority, we see, also leads us to obedience. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Well, verse 10, let me back up. So he's speaking to the scribes, and he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man, speaking of himself here, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Can you imagine again, here he is, laying in front of Jesus, right? 
And Jesus like says, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he's like, no, 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 don't mind me, just keep teaching. You know, don't mind me, I, I, I don't want to interrupt what you were talking about, Jesus. Keep going. I'll just chill out here. I got the best seat in the house now, you know. No, that makes no sense. Jesus said, get up and go home. When Jesus says something, you do it. You obey. We will not be defined by our proximity to Jesus, how close we are to him. We will be defined by our obedience to him. Proximity to Jesus, we can be close to Jesus, but not be obedient. Jesus had a disciple who walked with him for three years. He was close to Jesus, but he didn't believe in who he was, and he refused to submit to his authority. His name was Judas. So, submission to Jesus leads to obedience. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus is teaching and he says, Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I, I tell you to do? John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. 1 John 2, 4, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If we are truly submitting to the authority of Jesus in our life, it will lead to us obeying his commands. If we believe in the power of Jesus, then we obey the word of Jesus. And finally, we see that submission to Jesus' authority leads to God's glory. Look at verse 12. And he arose, this is, being the, this is the paralytic, and he immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Submission to Jesus' authority leads to God's glory. This is the goal. This is the goal of life, to glorify him forever. Jesus' life is wrapped in pointing people to the Father and working and drawing and pointing other people to him and glorifying his name. This is the scorecard of life. It's glorifying God. And if we make that the scorecard of our lives, then we win. What's our role look like then in glorifying God? I guess the question is, who are you in the audience? Maybe today you're coming in here and you're the paralytic. You're the one who's hurting. You're sick. Whatever. You need help. And this is my challenge to you, if that is you today. That Jesus did not call us into a life of isolation, but he calls us into a life of community. And just like the paralytic didn't get to Jesus by himself, neither do any of us in this room. But we needed to surround ourselves with a community of people who are also pursuing Jesus and can point us to him. And if that's you today and you're hurting, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'll say this. You need to surround yourself with a community of people who are following Jesus. 
We as a church, we, we practice community by our community groups. We meet every other week where we meet together, we read the Word of, of God, we pray together, we talk about what's going on in each other's lives, and we want to point each other to Jesus. Not one time, but on a regular basis. Apart from that, on alternate weeks, we meet in smaller groups, groups of two or three, where we talk about even more so what's going on in our life. Stuff we can't share in a bigger group, we share in groups in smaller groups. And we pray together and we point each other to the gospel and how Jesus makes us all whole. And if that's you today, my challenge and my call to you is for you to surround yourself by a community of other Christ followers. Maybe you're not the paralytic today, but you're his friends. My challenge to you then is to serve God by finding those who are searching for hope and helping them and bringing them to the person of Jesus. Maybe it's a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone in our community, our city, or the world. We need to be active and be involved and be engaged by being on mission, knowing that this is a broken world that we live in. And people in brokenness are looking for help and for hope. And we need to be bringing them to Jesus, knowing this, that I can't fix that person. Okay? But I know the God who can. And bringing them to Him. Maybe you're here today and you're part of the crowd. And your role is just to glorify God for what He's already doing. But then if you're here and you're the scribe, where you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't believe this. I have not put my faith in Jesus. Our challenge and our call to you today is that as you hear the gospel, that God himself stepped into this earth. He took you, the penalty for your sin and my sin on himself at the cross. He, he, was di he died and was risen from the grave. That you believe in that. That you'll quit trying to earn God's favor in your own, on your own right and believe that Jesus has already earned God's favor for you. That you will believe the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, as we see the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, we see his authority. God, as he calls us to submit that he is God in the flesh. But God, he doesn't do it, he doesn't do it out of character. But God, he, he calls us to submit to his authority as he submits to you. And Lord, in that submission, he dies on the cross. He didn't want to, but God, he submitted to, his, to your plan for his life. And then he calls us to do the same. Father, I pray that you will help me to do more so in my life. God, I thank you for calling me from the scribe
that you've saved me. But God, so often I see myself as the paralytic that's broken and hurting and need people to point me back to you. And then God, at those moments where I have a little more of my stuff together, God, you bring broken people in my life to help point them to you as well. God, I pray that we as a church will exist to glorify your name by bringing paralytics to you, by pointing them to you and giving them the hope that is the good news of Jesus. And then, Father, when we find ourselves in those moments of brokenness, that we can be encouraged by what you've already done for us on the cross. And we ask this all in Jesus' name.